do not underestimate the culture of, of security. Um, I think the people are a very important uh, front and center of risk mitigation uh, around cyber. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Mikesh, welcome to the show. Uh, it's actually really exciting to have you here on the show because, uh, you know, speaking to Shannon, who introduced us, he's spoken very highly of you. And I mean, look, you, you've been at your current company now for quite a long time. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear your experiences and how you've seen the industry really evolve and, and where we're sort of headed moving forward. And I really want to dive into the specifics of that. But before we do that, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So please, Mikesh, can you please walk our listeners through where you started to where you are now? Uh, thank you, Carissa. Uh, thanks a lot for inviting me today and, and sharing my, my journey and my experience um, and talking about something that's very close to my heart. Um, my, my journey uh, started off in um, an island called Fiji, which most of you go there for holidays, but that's where I started. And uh, I've got over 20 years of management um, experience in IT and IT-related technology Um um, working for a multinational um, um, over this period in 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 islands and in Asia Pacific, and and progressively moving on and delivering large scale digital transformation. More recently, though, um, as as we know, the cyber risks are are evolving and are are escalating, um, and and so my focus over the past uh, three four years has been on security, and and hopefully I can share today with your with your listeners of uh, some of the ways in which we can mitigate uh, of cyber risk and and what I uh, see out there happening in the world so thanks for having me thanks for being here and on a random side note I was actually in Fiji a few weeks ago which you already knew anyway uh, it was it was one of the best places I've been to in the world apart from I got very sunburned and I came back to Australia and I definitely had was peeling from the sunburn it's just it's just another level of like heat that I've never experienced, but I had, I had so much fun there. So yeah, it was a great couple of days or week or whatever it was. So uh, really, really enjoyed my time there. Would you say, so you said you start off in Fiji and then you've come to Australia. Do you sort of see quite a big dissonance between uh, both these countries in terms of maturity? And if so, can you explain a little bit more about sort of the delta between them? That's a really, really good question. Um, definitely a, a, a very um, different size of the business, uh, the complexity of business. Um, and, and depending on how you look at it, uh, those markets, some markets are very simple in the way we do business. Um, and, and in Australia, the market's quite, quite sophisticated, complex, and a lot of technology has been used. The beauty about this is when you look at cybersecurity and risk mitigation and controls, those controls apply uh, consistently across the smaller markets and the, the more developed markets because you need to have a consistent, uh, I mean, you're only as good as your weakest link. So 
you need to make sure that your controls are operating effectively in all those markets. So one of the things I want to get into with you today, Mikesh, is talking about managing risk. Now, everyone's heard, everyone talks about in the industry, like reducing risk, managing risk, remediating risk, all this type of stuff, right? So I really want to get your thoughts with your position and your experience on really how to carry that conversation internally. And I ask this because I feel a lot of people just give it airtime and say, oh, yes, yes, CEO, yes, board directors, we are reducing the risk. But in actuality, they're not really doing that. So I, I'm really keen to hear about what is your methodical approach about actually doing that. And a lot of people, there's a lot of talk, but there's not a lot of walking. So can you shed any sort of light in, in, your, in your career about how people can go about doing this effectively and doing it the right way? So um, risk management, um, Carissa, happens um, in all organisations, whether they're small or, or whether they're large. I think we we all recognize that the objectives um, in a smaller organization is slightly different to a large organization. But if if I take a step back and say, in the large organization, some of the processes are quite standard. You have a board that's interested in um, looking at all the business risks um, and 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 that oversees the the organizational risks, and then you have the management which uh, which has uh, uh, who are the owners of those risks and and the risk team generally um, are involved in making sure that people who are accountable uh, are following and addressing um, those risks and mitigating those risks in a in an appropriate manner. So so that broad structure framework exists in many, many large organizations. What I think is very different when it comes to some of the technology risks uh, and and particularly cyber risk is it's quite complex. And it's complex because of its interdependency. It's complex because it's evolving. And therefore, sometimes those risks are not understood uh, appropriately at at the highest level and, and, and sometimes there is a, a, a real disconnect in that sense where, where, where the understanding of the risk and the actual risk is different. And so I've seen that play out um, in some organizations uh, uh, that, that I've seen. Um, hence, what's happening um, out in the, in the industry is that many of the uh, organizations now, particularly the large ones, are, are having a a expert in the in the board who's who's providing an advisory to ensure that the board clearly understands those risks and 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 are working towards mitigating those risk uh, in in an appropriate manner. So so many many are seeing that, particularly in the field of cyber, having an advisory role on the board. But the the most important thing. Um, if if for for this risk management piece to work is that it needs to start from the top and it needs to have a culture of of risk mitigation and a culture of security which stems from the top and needs to be understood by the person on the shop floor or the person in the field or the person in the factory. Um, everybody in the organization has a role to play, and sometimes organizations. Um, um, sort of uh, 
probably lose sight of, of the fact uh, in terms of defining the roles and responsibility. So roles and responsibility definition is a, is a very key part. The other piece that I've seen it working uh, for effective management of, of cyber risk is, is, is people managing and, and, and showing people uh, how this is no different to the personal risk that a person has. Someone who connects at home using technology, um, has password management, someone does internet banking, someone has confidential information. So if you create that awareness that this risk is personal and it's personal at home, I think that behavior creeps into the organization to safeguard the organization. Uh, I think those are some of the key things that, that I think are important to actually start mitigating, creating an awareness led from the top, have a very clear roles and responsibility and making it, it, it personal for people so that, so that people understand uh, and their behaviors are consistently at home or even in the office. Mm, this is good. There's a really good points that you raised. Uh, there's a few things that came up in my mind as you're speaking there. One of the things is you said that has a role to play. Would you say from your understanding, your experience in the field that you've got a security guy there, he's perhaps the advisor to the board, but do you ever think that perhaps, yes, the board is listening, but they're just going to railroad him anyway because, hey, the security guy is like, oh, we've got to invest $5 million because that's what we need to uplift their cybersecurity posture. Would you think that perhaps they're just they're acknowledging it, but it again, it comes back to just giving it airtime and not really then doing anything with it, even though there's a, an advisor there saying to the board, these are the things that we need to do, but in fact, they already know in their mind that they'll just say yes yes sir or ma'am or whatever it is but then but then i guess subsequently do nothing with it do you still think there's a bit of that that goes on i think uh carissa this probably was was more more true in the past but less now and and i'll explain why that is the case this this is for two reasons one is uh the the board is now directly responsible for the the risk uh that is posed around cyber. So, so this is not uh, something very different to the duty of care they have. This is uh, the part of the role to ensure that this risk is mitigated appropriately uh, in, in, in their organization. So, so I think that's, that's driving the right behavior at, at the very, very senior level as well. The, the second piece is we can see incidents happening. We can see all those attacks happening and this is not a hypothetical, what if this happens? What if that happens? It's the question of when it happens, are we equipped? And, and before when, what can we do to protect our organization? So I think those two drivers about the, the, the role of the board and, and the, the organizational legislation that requires them to uh, look at this holistically um, and, and obviously, uh, the, the reality is that these things are happening out in the field and the impact on the organizations are quite significant. And, and therefore, this cannot be taken any lightly as it might have been in the past when some of these uh, legislations and, and the regulatory framework were a bit weaker in this area. 
So what I'm hearing from what you're saying is historically that was probably the case, but now we're sort of maturing into this space where this advisor to the board from a security perspective is getting the respect, would you say? Because I've often heard people on the show that I've spoken to, that I've worked in, like, I just don't get the respect. So do you think that that's sort of dissipating now because of the the, the comments you just made about why we're maturing now on that front? And and I think Chris said that the, the the key thing I think respect is is also the advisor uh, needs to be quite credible, quite knowledgeable, and the advisor needs to really understand the risk and and not just uh, uh, articulate what's happening out in the field. Really, be quite credible for for them to be quite effective. The the other thing is. Regardless of whether there's a, a, a advisor recommending to the board, um, there are people in the organization, the CEOs and others are ultimately responsible for protecting the, the business itself. So I think uh, all those factors are starting to play a more, uh, more tougher role. I'm not suggesting that still there's uh, an element of... of, uh, of uh, uh, questioning that happens uh, of whether this amount of investment uh, is enough or not, and and sometimes you you can you can you can never have have enough. But but I think having a structured approach um, that I've seen, um, understanding the the external threat landscape, um, aligning to what the attacks are happening. Um, aligning that to the security posture of the company and then aligning it to the investment. If you follow those steps and if you can paint a very clear picture um, to the senior executives um, and the board, I I would guarantee that 99% of the boards uh, or senior execs will say, uh, let's go because this is an important risk that we need to mitigate. That's that's just my personal view. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Operative word that you said, credibility. Now, this is interesting because people will define credibility different. So you said credible advisor. I said there's two, there's two parts to this. The first question is, what do you define as a credible advisor? Because some people's views change. So, for example, someone may think you have to be super technical to become that incredible advisor. Other people say, well, actually, no, you need to have an understanding of it, but you're not necessarily the best person to drive change and influence and really get people across what all this means. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, um, an advisor, as they would do, and and it happens with many uh, consulting companies as well. It's their is their uh, job to highlight uh, what's happening out in there. But a credible advisor is someone who sees what's happening out there, can can decompose those those threats, and 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 have the right people in the organization. Um, to to discuss it with to understand whether these risks are real and what the organizations are are doing and and I think there is a the, the advisor cannot open uh, or operate in in silo I think a credible advisor is having a strong view of what's happening out there what are the real risks that the organization face 
and working with the the management to understand uh, an approach and and agree on an approach. I think that's how it needs to be, without any bias towards uh, uh, who's going to do the work or how you're going to do this uh, delivery of it. But but just being very pragmatic about it. May I just to press on this a little bit more because this is interesting because I often hear people talking about differences of opinions on the credibility side of things. And you mentioned something before, Makesh, around there are advisors out there who just really highlight what's happening and, you know, reporting on what's happening in the in the space, right, or in, in the landscape of, of, our, of our world. Would you say that more people are doing that than other advisors or the more credible ones in your eyes that are perhaps, yes, they're highlighting what's happening, but they're also preempting and they're sort of looking uh, further forward on, on how to go about things next do you see any is there an imbalance in the weight or do you think it's there's an equilibrium there or or what do you think i think uh, carissa uh, the industry while it's evolving is also maturing um i would say that in the in the last three years if you if you look three four years ago um you would have advisors who would be coming um and recommending or, or or experts highlighting the risks and and in some ways scaremongering uh, the business that this is what needs to be done. However, uh, there is a, a lot more uh, a maturity in this industry because of what's happening out there. Uh, ransomware attacks have taken place. Uh, people are starting to appreciate. People have seen the impact of that. People are now understanding what's real and what's possible. Uh, and and also then having uh, some level of independent view of, okay, what is the business impact? And so I think it's a combination of 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 things and 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 I think that has put pressure on some of the independent uh, uh, advisors to to be a bit more uh, uh, pragmatic about recommendation. Um, because you can spend a lot of money in cyber yet not achieve the outcome. So, so the key is understanding the risk, understanding the assets, understanding the compliance that you want to meet and assets you want to protect. And, and then you have a strategy with a very clear vision and, and, and a framework that sort of is funded. And, and I think all those things have to happen in, in unison for 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 you to effectively start mitigating the business risk and tracking those. So I, I think the 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 landscape is evolving, but but also the maturity of the industry is also uh, uh, progressing along. And 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 you know that in Australia we've got uh, uh, the uh, critical infrastructure legislation bill that's come through, and and that requires. Uh, many companies do now um, have a bit more uh, 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 requirement to report to the government on their cybersecurity posture and the and the and the processes and the controls they have in operating in their businesses. So, so all in all, I think there's a lot more knowledge in the industry, uh, 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 some maturity. I'm not suggesting everybody advises on the wrong thing or the right thing. I think there's a, a good sense of uh, people um, understanding it, and and I, I, I maybe maybe they, if there's one area I would actually highlight, this is 
there, there are still a shortage of people who've actually um, um, done and have a really good understanding of technology risk and business uh, risks and and combining all those two things to say okay this is what i propose we should do forward love those points i think that's very very true especially the comment around people sinking money into things that actually don't help them anyway uh one of the things i really want to explore now mikesh is would you say it's a fair assumption that perhaps some people aren't aware of the risks they are actually managing. Now, I ask this because, I mean, I've worked in a company before. It's like taken to the business. These are the risks. And they had someone very senior come in, well, interject and just say, yep, I accept all of them. And it's like, well, you don't really know what you're accepting here. So do you think there is still this dissonance between, yeah, we got these risks, but the business will just not care and they'll just say, yeah, I accept it, but they don't really know sort of the the depth in which if something were to go wrong, what that means for an organization. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Uh, that, that, that is uh, uh, a good question. And, and I think it relates to that organizational culture and awareness piece. And, and I've seen that um, the, the organizational culture in many of the organization um, and five, six years ago, if you if you talk about uh, technology risk, someone would note it down in an Excel spreadsheet um, or, or similar tool, um, and there will be action owners, and it will be a more compliance-driven work, and people will move on. The, the scene is changing now. Uh, it is changing because there is an implication. There are incidents that happen and the implication of not providing the right level of due diligence um, on it can impact the individuals who are making those calls. So people are a little bit more cautious. The other thing, um, uh, Carissa, is that many of these risks sometimes are quite quite complex and, and there's a lot of interdependencies involved in it and no one has a crystal ball. So, so each of the people... Uh, look at this in a in a very siloed manner, um, and they look at it. Oh, that's my job. I'm managing this part of the risk, and I'm managing that part of the risk. So, I'll give you an example. In in a in a supply chain environment um, where where things are happening in whether it's a critical infrastructure, whether it's an energy company, um, or whether it's a fast moving consumer good uh, company, the operational technology environment that works in the supply chain area. Um, is looked by supply chain. However, the, the, the third parties are, are different third parties that, that work in those areas. Um, then you have those uh, IT people and, and, and the um, security people who are looking at mitigating the operational technology risk by, by making sure patching and all those IT cadences and, and, and remediation work happens. And then you have the business continuity team. The point that I'm trying to make here is that the the complexity and the interdependency of those different groups of people owning part of that action items sometimes gets diluted, and 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 this is where the role of a CISO becomes oh so critical because a CISO needs to pull those people together to mitigate a business risk, and the business risk of mitigating the risk in operational technology environment may require so many cross-functional stakeholders who just have a different point of view or, or just that have a limited 
action items and 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 that's the piece i sometimes think people accept the risk because it's a very uh, uh siloed view of the world whereas a CISO needs to lift uh, that overall risk and and maybe report uh, at, a, at a higher level if that makes sense yeah it does that makes sense when you talk about interdependencies so just to touch on that a little bit more because this is interesting how do you sort of approach that? So like you said, like on the surface, it's like, yeah, okay, we'll accept it or not accept it. It's, it's easy to see that on the surface. But once you sort of go beneath that, there are those interdependencies. It does get complicated and complex. How does a company sort of navigate that? Like how do you have that conversation? Because there, there may be a lot of people involved in that one risk because, like you said, there's third party, there's suppliers, there's all these other things that go on. So maybe it's not necessarily – such a straightforward answer. It's not ones and zeros, a little bit of gray in there, right? And I know security people don't like dealing with the gray, but sometimes we have to be very realistic to how to approach this effectively, yeah? Yep. This is where, uh, and I and I highlighted before, is having the clarity uh, in roles and responsibility and clarity of who owns what um, in mitigating the risk. It needs to be crystal clear. So the role that uh, the risk team play is being very clear. Is it an IT person owning the risk? And is it a, 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 a business person owning the risk? And, and, and ultimately be very clear of the owner of that individual risk item. And, and I think sometimes that, that gets blurry where there's many aspects and many players. So clarity is a, is a very fundamental part of of meeting those, uh, uh, managing those risks. And I, I think once you find the owners of, of each of those um, areas, um, the key is making sure they understand um, the, the implication of accepting the risk or, or mitigating the risk. And that gets rolled up into the overall, if it's just one part of the of the equation in the overall risk management in that particular area. So, so a bit complex, but, but just understanding and making people understand um, uh, what is the, the implication of accepting the risk or rejecting or, or mitigating the risk in that sense. Would you say many companies, from your knowledge, actually know who owns what? Or do you think that they may think that they know, but in actuality, that's completely different? And do you think that it is there is clear uh, sort of territories like this is my risk and this is what I'm owning and those guys are over there? Do you think people have this sorted or do you think that this is still a very blurred, as you just mentioned before? I think this is the biggest problem in, in managing this risk very effective. And this is... I think organizations are moving forward with this, but but I mean, in this world of digital transformation, where we are interconnected with the outside world, with the inside world, it's very hard to to actually uh, say that ultimately everything sits with this person or that person. I do think, though, it's it's incredibly important to spend a lot of time to understand and recruit the right people. I think the people make this work um, less about uh, that you'll, you'll always have uh, uh, roles and responsibilities, but you need to have those people who can work through 
boundaries um, to to make it happen for the business outcome that I'm sure everybody wants to work towards. But but uh, it, it's the people who kind of help overcome some of the things about this is my my job or this is not my job. And and I kind of give an example all the time. Uh, some of the security leaders they generally uh, I found that uh, they mitigate the risk from a technology perspective. So they're quite biased in in that sense of just thinking of technology and how you mitigate technology risk and lose sight of of the overall fact that it's the business risk that we are managing and 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 you often hear in in organizations i that's not my remit or that's not my my uh, responsibility or i don't have the funding for it but I, i look at it in a slightly different manner that if the organization is empowered um, you uh, to mitigate the risk um, for the business, then it's the person's job to work with all those different stakeholders, make them understand that, and and highlight those risks and 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 drive the right outcome. So I think people have a have a very important role, and and leadership in this area is very very critical to mitigate risk because you you're right. If it's a just tick the box exercise, um, we've done um, all we want to do. Uh, that's not effective risk management. I think uh, effective risk management is living and breathing, understanding, and then working through uh, mitigating those risks because it's not straightforward. It's not simple because if it was simple, everybody would have done it by now. It's so true. Ticking of the box. Now, this one is something we all hear often. And you mentioned something really powerful there about empowering your culture and your staff and your team, right? So even if it's not your job, just do it anyway, right? What What is this sort of impetus to people just want to tick the box? So if you're in risk management, like you're sort of effectively doing a disservice or if you're in security or whatever role you're playing, and if you're just like, yep, yeah, cool, tick the box, do you think that that sort of stems from culture? Do you think there's a bit of laziness in there? Like, well, I don't have to do uh, 150% because if I just do 20, I'll just tick the box. That's all I need to do. Like, I feel like we, we talk about this a lot, but like what is the behavior around like wanting to do that? Because there's never a point in my life where I've ever wanted to do the bare minimum. That's not who I am. But I'm aware that people are like that. But I'm curious to say, why are they even in this role anyway? It's sort of like a doctor that's like, oh, well, I'm not going to do any due diligence on the patient. Like you don't go to uni for seven years to become a doctor plus some to give people very rudimentary and basic treatment. That's the way I sort of view the ticking of the box exercise. And and this is a, a, a very important challenge. And you talked about culture. Uh, I think the culture in, in, in the field of security is a very important and a prized attribute that individuals need to have. Um, I'll give you an example. I've heard this, um, um, and, and this person used to work for me uh, before, and, um, and one day we were all introducing everyone to the, the CEO, and, and uh, this guy actually was asked, what is your role? And he says, uh, I safeguard the organization. It's such a powerful thing for someone to say in an organization. And I thought, geez, these are the type of people I want to work for me. 
because they have a broader view of the problems we are trying to solve and just not focused on this is my job to do. He's got a holistic view and everything he does he attributes to what he's trying to do is to safeguard the organization. So, so culture is super, super critical. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, what's that show? It's like called The Office or there's, not The Office, there's another show out there and it's basically just full of people saying it's not my job, it's that guy's job. And the whole uh, the whole show just basically is people just palming off to the next guy and no one takes responsibility. So I really like that statement. Um, I'd like to sort of explore now on IT security leaders that, perhaps are not approaching risk in the way that they should because maybe they're not communicating upwards and like effectively or they're not sort of permeating that message within their team. And then I guess subsequently that then generates a disconnect. I've seen it happen uh, in my experience. I've spoken to people out there in the industry that this happens, but how do we build further alignment on that from your point of view? I think I think the important thing is firstly um, um, the engagement with the business and understand the business, um, regardless of 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 what level um, uh, the security leaders and and the people themselves need to align to the to the business and understand what is our business, what are we doing to safeguard our business, what is the implication of doing this because I I mean security shouldn't just be looked as a compliance thing as a as a as a, a, a place where you go and you get refused it should be an enabler for the business um, an enabler that that the business understands why we need to do this because it moves forward so I think I think that that cultural piece that alignment piece with the business understanding the business and then recommending the things that needs to be done is probably a very important part because, I mean, you often hear some of the security leaders with a very technical background saying, oh, I've got IPS implemented in this and I've got this threat detection happening here and there. But, well, do you know where your points of entry are in your organization? Have you seen the way people operate, use the, the devices or the machines that, that operate. It's very different. So understanding the business is and, and be, helps um, immensely in, in terms of driving the right um, culture of security, firstly, and, and then making sure that we can, we can uh, uh, safeguard the business together. Why would you stay, say that businesses are still not seeing security as an enabler? Like most people still say, oh, you know, I spent all this money on these security guys. There's nothing tangible. I don't know what I'm getting. Like there's still a bit of that that goes around. I mean, I, I spoke to a CFO last year and he's like, I sink a lot of money into this department and I still don't understand necessarily what it does for me. So why do you think that's still the case? Is it because we can't, you know, if you go to the shop and you buy a drink, you can physically touch it, you can see it. Security is it's not how it works, right? So do you think that it's because there's nothing tangible that people necessarily get from it that perhaps gives them this reasoning as to it's a 
we sink a lot of money into it and it's not this enable. Like I'm curious to find out from your perspective because this still seems to go on in today's day and age. Yeah, and 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 the reason Carissa it happens is uh, w- businesses are faced with limited budgets. Let's face it, right? So every department and and every function competes for that limited pool that they have, um, and and get a slice of that pool. Security is no 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 exception um, in 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 this. However, people don't see uh, the enabling part that often. Um, and 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 hence they they and they can't see the protection part that often unless obviously a breach happens. So so I think the key part and and again I would say that if the CFOs uh, articulating this as I'm spending a lot of money in my my organization that it probably is that the the person hasn't been um, brought on the journey in terms of the clear risks that that are being faced um they haven't been sort of uh uh um, shared a very clear strategy of what risk we are managing uh, a, a clear vision a clear strategy strategy drivers a clear program and a clear uh progress tracking update on a regular basis because i think it's about education that changes people's behavior, that changes people's perception and, and culture. And I've seen, I've seen and I've heard from some peers in other industries um, that these comments do come when people haven't done this groundwork of explaining the risks and, and obviously uh, showing matrics that are more appropriate, showing matrix of the spend of security uh, in the organization compared to the industry and and how all these things relate um, and and whether we are spending enough or we are spending more than enough. If you start educating those metrics with the executive teams, I would be very surprised that you'd hear comments like that. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yep, that totally makes sense. So with any narrative, we always want to back up our narrative with with numbers, right? So what would be the metrics that you'd implement to effectively measure risk and your company's security posture? The way I look at it is, is they say, um, the way uh, I've seen it work is if you if you treat uh, cyber and technology risk similar to, say, physical health and safety um, and have some lead and lag indicators, then it makes sense to a lot of people. Um, and, and if you break it down saying, the lean indicators are the indicators that actually show the the posture of the company, the proactive actions we're taking, um, uh, our awareness programs, uh, whether we are making a difference in completion of training, uh, is our people uh, 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 progressing on the understanding of the risk and awareness and and simulation, so and policy compliance and. And 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 other regulatory compliance. So I'll, I'll look at those as lead indicators. And if you keep reporting on those things, your maturity and progress of your maturity, they are good indicators. The other matrix that's important is if I know things are happening and and we can measure those things, what are the other areas that I should be worried about? Are the are are we targeted? Are we having incidents that that are 
are being defended uh, by through our security controls in that we have put in place. So having those two different types of measures give a holistic view of to the board of or, or the senior execs. Okay, there are things that we are doing proactively and we're measuring through our lead indicators. The lag indicators are indications that we are being attacked and how we're traveling with those incidents, how we're progressing, how our controls. And then, I mean, to, to, to top that up is, is you need to always have a clear view that your controls are operating effectively and have a measure of, of, of um, uh, controls um, testing happening in, in, in that organization. So I think... I think that is how I've seen things operate quite well. And in, in a business sense, it's how people look at health and safety, mental health, all those things that people do. And cyber is, is also not too different in that sense around cyber safe. Do you think people care about metrics? Now, I ask this because, for example, I mean, I've, I've worked in this space when I used to do all the cybersecurity reporting. So I know this area quite well. Uh, in terms of reporting on things and you're getting some pushback. So, for example, if you, you've got a security report, you take it into your board and you say, we blocked X amount of attacks, and someone goes, yes, so what? Does that happen and do people care necessarily? Because, I mean, we can report on numbers and figures all day, but if that's not going to sort of move the needle, so to speak, on getting the, the outcome for the business – we don't. We sort of just spend a lot of time in doing reporting. Then, don't we? That that, that is uh, a, a, a very good uh, observation. I mean, matrix um, a reporting of matrix just for the sake of it does not work, and and therefore I think you are absolutely right. The the, the question that I've I've sort of uh, always um, uh, valued is the the thing that you've just mentioned. So what? What am I gonna report? Uh, has to have a, 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 a story behind it or it needs to have a very clear uh, objective of what we're either trying to manage. So, so if I look at those attacks uh, or the incidents that happen, it's not just about reporting those matrix, but what have you learned from those incidents that have happened? Has the, has, have we increased the targets uh, over the period of last month or the month before. And if, if, if the attacks are high, what are some of the reasons why we're trending those things? Um, from an incident perspective, what were the learnings from the incidents? What does it tell us about the control? So I think the so what is very important. You're right. Just saying I had that many web attacks that we defended. Uh, um, this were the number of... Uh, uh, emails that were uh, sent through and blocked does not tell the story um, with just numbers, but but I think it's the so what and and those those hidden gems that you get in in each of those leg indicators that tell you are you being targeted, and it gives the board uh, or, or the executives a, a level of comfort. So if you were uh, attacked uh, ten times more in a month. I'm sure the board would want to know, and I'm sure the CISA would want to know why did that happen? What what happened? Was there a, a reason for this to happen? And those are the things that are important rather than just putting the numbers, because I, I agree with you. 
numbers, just reporting the numbers aren't the most important thing, but the so what behind it is is the, the, the very important part. Would you say this is a trap that people often fall into? So we've just spoken about, I mean, you could go for days or years reporting on numbers and have a very comprehensive report and report on everything to the nth degree, but if there's no sort of narrative or story to really back it up, it doesn't really mean anything to people, and, and rightly so, right? That they're looking at this through a key through a keyhole. So, do you think this is something that often happens that people are like, oh, like someone could come to you and say, Mikesh, I'm doing all this reporting, I'm doing all this, but I'm getting that guy's or woman saying, so what at the end? So this this must be a common theme that people fall into. Yeah, and this is where I think um, the 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 reporting of of matrix in in cybersecurity is is quite important. I think it's not about the 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 number of matrix you report. It's it's about the matrix you report that can relate to the risk that you are managing. Um, I think those that's the important thing. Everything you report needs to ultimately link to the risk that you are trying to manage. So if I give you an example uh, uh, in in a holistic way. You, you report on the people completion um, training stuff because you want to make sure that people are gaining a better understanding on the cyber culture, posture, uh, et cetera, and the awareness program is becoming effective. Um, if our phishing, as, as an example, failure rates are, are, are acceptable and are improving and our completion rate. So that's a very important measure that we are showing uh, that should then translate into the organizational awareness that that we see about people understanding a bit more about what's happening in cyber. That's just an example of of it. Um, So I think those measures that you report um, need to be uh, very closely linked uh, to the risk that you are trying to manage. My final question for you today, Mikesh, would be as an executive with your experience and your knowledge and your career, what would be some advice you'd give to others about managing risk within their organization? Firstly, I think um, uh, risk management is is quite complex in large organizations. It's not straightforward. Um, and it needs inputs from a lot of cross, uh, cross-functional teams. So do not underestimate the effort that's required uh, uh, to do that effectively. Uh, this is not a compliance work. So, so an effective risk management piece requires uh, a, a great collaboration across cross-functional teams. Um, the second thing is understanding what are the assets that you are trying to protect um, and and what are the regulatory compliance that you are trying to achieve, and and once you do that, you can then effectively uh, uh, communicate that to the board, and people have a, a clear understanding of it. The 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 third piece is, it's an evolving it's a it's an evolving beast, um, if I'd call it that way. Um, Cyber threat technology landscape is changing every almost day. So having an external lens, an external view of what's happening out there is an important so that if you need to mitigate the risk and if you need to adjust your programs to mitigate the newer risk that may surface, which may be of, of a different priority, then you can do it if you have an external perspective of what's happening. 
And 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 the last thing is, is do not underestimate the culture of of security. Uh, I think the people are a very important uh, front and center of risk mitigation uh, around cyber. And 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 I think this is not easy because we're living in a world where things are changing. People come and go, and to build a culture uh, while operating in an environment where a regulatory is getting harder, um, threats are evolving. It's not easy, and 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 in an organization that uh, that that uh, I've worked for before, uh, uh, we used to use a slogan to say "Stop, think, act, protect" uh, as part of our awareness slogan. Very straightforward, very effective, but uh, uh, it, it it is those things that that require people to actually apply to in their everyday work, in their everyday life, whether they're at work or whether they're in their personal lives. Um, that that is what moves the needle uh, for the better to mitigate this risk of cyber. I love that. I love the slogan. Well, uh, Mikesh, really, really appreciate uh, your time today. And uh, I really have enjoyed listening to your experience and your insight. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Carissa, for having me. And uh, thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.